0: At this point, I want to welcome those of you who are online with us. And, uh, we're thankful you've been, you're able to join us for this portion as we open God's Word together and, uh, hear some testimonies of the Lord's work in other people's lives. So, hello to everyone online. And, um, uh, I want, I want you all to, if you have your Bibles with you, whether it be a digital Bible or a hard copy of God's Word, I actually, um, want you to open up to Genesis 12. So, we're going to be starting a series through Joshua, but, Uh, Before we can jump into Joshua, we're going to spend a week uh, kind of uh, doing some historical gathering of uh, leading up to Joshua and uh, setting the tone for uh, what our next uh, 12 weeks are going to look like together. And uh, one of the things I want to challenge you with is I want to challenge you to, if you've never read through the book of Joshua, read through the book of Joshua, okay? So uh, take some time over the next several months and, in, and and read through it. It won't take you that long. And the cool thing about Joshua is it is a narrative book. What, what, is, what narrative means is it's full of story literature. And uh, it's telling this story of Israel moving from a place of wandering and uh, ultimately being in a desert for 40 years into the fulfilled promise of what God has uh, been telling them for years is going to be fulfilled. And so it's this journey of moving from God's promises being something that's almost a little abstract in nature uh, to reality. And uh, many times uh, we can resonate with this because uh, we often find ourselves, if you're anything like me, um, you easily become impatient. All right, Do I have any people that struggle with patience? Come on, don't leave me hanging. All right, I think it's way more than that. All right, y'all aren't being honest, okay? And uh, the reality is, uh, I think that's built intrinsically, kind of built into who we are is the struggle with patience. And so a lack of patience often results in uh, a challenge with how we trust the Lord. That uh, if I'm struggling with how patient I'm being uh, leading up to something, whether it's promised or not, uh, if it takes a long time, I end up struggling to trust that the Lord is going to fulfill that. And so, uh, ultimately, our series, our series idea, through the whole book of Joshua, and even today, is God is bigger. Okay? So we're going to practice. I want you guys, uh, I'm going to involve you. So I'm going to count to three and I want you just all corporately as one whole to say God is bigger, okay? And you on the video, you're not exempt from this wherever you are. When I count to three, you say it as well. We're going to say it corporately, okay? We might have to do it a couple times to really get it. And I want you to say it with passion and fervency, okay? This is a truth we want to hold close to ourselves and we're going to do this each week because I want you to get this, all right? So we're, well, let's practice this. One, two, three. That's pretty good for a first time. But I think you can do better, okay? I believe you can do better and it can be more powerful and we can really emphasize this. So we're going to try it one more time now that you've had a practice round. Let's try this again. One, two, three. There we go. That's what I like to hear. And uh, I'm going to actually have that statement throughout this message. So I want you to be aware. And when I uh, signal you, I will count to three and I want you to say that because... That is what we are rooting into today. And one of the most evident ways for us to see God's sovereignty is in his word. Um, The cohesiveness of this narrative ultimately um, reveals God's character, his personhood, who he has promised to be, and that's what I want us to visualize. So um, Genesis chapter 12, and in verses 1 through 3, we have something that's commonly referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. And this is what that covenant with Abraham, um, with Abram that God made. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, this is verse one of chapter 12, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and you all and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed so God establishes this promise relationship this covenant relationship with Abram and um, ultimately promising Abram that he will build a nation through him okay now flip over to Genesis 15 Genesis 15 and uh this is uh another aspect of this where God reaffirms his covenant to Abraham. And there's a reason why God reaffirms this. In Genesis 15, starting in verses verse 1, says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. So what this reveals is a sense of concern. Everyone say concern. He's concerned that God is not going to fulfill his promise. You give me, for I continue childless, and and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, shall your offspring be? And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So here Abraham is concerned about God fulfilling his promise. And verse two, that concern is validated by the fact that he still has no child which meant if you had no children it was left to an extended family member to carry on your legacy. He's going, "God, you promised in back in verse 12, you promised me that you were going to build this nation through me. I still don't have a child and ultimately I'm getting kind of old." And both him and Sarah are looking at each other going, "There's no way. There's no way. And yet, what we know and what we're focused on during this series is even when we think there is no way, God is, one, two, three, He is bigger, okay? So fast forward through time, Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac, and then Isaac grows up, he marries Rebecca. they have twin boys named Jacob and Esau. And in the course of time, Jacob is renamed Israel. So if you wonder where the nation of Israel came from, it is the son of Abram has a son named Jacob who God renames Israel. Now Israel has 12 sons which become the 12 tribes of Israel. This very nation that God promised Abraham that he would build. Now, Jacob, or Israel, had a son named Joseph. Everyone say Joseph. Joseph was actually sold into slavery by his brothers. So kids, if you think you got it bad with your sibling relationships, you got nothing on Joseph. Okay? Alright? It could always be worse. You could be thrown into a pit, left for dead, or you could be sold into slavery as Joseph was. So Joseph is sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, imprisoned for years because of something he didn't do. And through the course of that, Joseph gets this opportunity to come before Pharaoh, the king over all of Egypt, and reveal how God has given him great wisdom and insight into what's happening. So Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, he has a dream and he none of his wise men around him can interpret this dream. So Joseph is the one who ends up interpreting this dream. And what this dream reveals is that the land will suffer a great famine. There will be a huge lack of food. And they'll have limited time to prepare for this famine. And so Joseph ends up leading the people through this time. He ends up being given authority over much of Egypt. He's put in charge within the Egyptian government. And he not only helps to spare the Egyptians, but also his own father, Jacob, or Israel, and his brothers, the same brothers who sold him into slavery to begin with bringing them, all of them and their children, their whole clans, the whole nation of Israel at this point, to Egypt in Genesis 46. And in all of this, Genesis 50 verse 20 reveals a statement that we could go back to to root even further into this truth about our series, where Joseph's brothers, when their father dies, they fear that he's going to retaliate. They go, Joseph's going to come for us now. He's going to pay us back for what we really deserve for what we did to him. And Joseph said these words. He says, "You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today." So to summarize this, in all of these things, in all that's happening, we could look at any piece of the story and going, "Everything's falling apart." And yet, we can also see one core truth about God. Okay? We can see that in all of this, one, two, three, God is bigger. God is bigger. <clears throat> so at this point, we completed the book of Genesis. There's your ten minute spiel through the book of Genesis. Okay? So now we're to Exodus. And hang on, because we're going to go all the way to De- through Deuteronomy, church. Then you can say, in one Sunday, we went through Genesis through Deuteronomy. Um, so Joseph dies. At the end of this. And now the reason we started here is because we've moved from this promise that God gave to Abram. To the establishment of this nation. To now the nation of Israel is in Egypt. So if you've ever wondered. Okay, I've heard the stories of Exodus and how the Israelites came out of Egypt. How did they get to Egypt to begin with? This is how. Okay, now you know how. They've now come into Egypt. But in Exodus chapter 1. Turn there in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 1. In Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from our land. So this is the point where it shifts to Israel, the nation of Israel, having favor in Egypt, to them being slaves in Egypt. This new king raises up. He establishes that he's going to deal harshly with the nation of Israel. And so they're put into slavery. And it's at this point in the narrative that this man named Moses is born. Everyone say Moses. Okay? Moses is born. another aspect that this leader sought to do In order to eliminate Israel's power, as I said, okay, if any of these Israelite women have sons, you're to kill them. You're to kill them. You're just to massacre them. Get rid of their lineage without sons. They cannot pass down this national heritage. It will not happen. Moses' life is spared. And as the narrative goes, Moses is put into a basket and floated down the river. okay, And he's ultimately pulled out by Pharaoh's daughter who raises him in government positions. Now, you kind of see a pattern here, right? That in the midst of all of this, and if you ever doubt God's ability to regain control of any situation or any frame of governmental leadership or any frame of influence, we need to recognize at the core of our being that, one, two, three, God is bigger. He's bigger than any of that, okay? Moses is spared from Pharaoh's desire to eliminate the nation of Israel. Moses is brought into Egyptian royalty. Then Moses sets kind of the precedence for his primary struggle, one of his primary struggles, and that's anger. Okay? Moses struggles with anger. And he gets angry at this Egyptian guard. He ends up killing this Egyptian and then flees to a land called Midian. And it is here that God calls Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. So now we've moved from Abraham all the way to Moses and Moses call. He appears to Moses in a burning bush and says, Moses, you're to go to Pharaoh and you're to tell him, let my people go. So the Lord does many signs and wonders before Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's heart is hardened until it costs him his own son. And it's at this point that he releases Israel and the nation sets off on their journey to the land that God has promised to them. This is Exodus 3, where they set off and they step into this to have Moses lead them out of the land in pursuit of God's promise for them. So Moses leads the people out. The Egyptians, actually, Pharaoh changes his mind and comes out after them. So turn with me to Exodus 14, okay? Exodus 14. <clears throat> and in Exodus 14, verse starting in verse 10, <clears throat> it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 11. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Look at verse 14. This is so cool. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be what? Be still or be silent. In other words, y'all you shut your mouth and let God do His thing. Right? Right? Be quiet and let God do this. Now, I, I, when we read this, it's easy for us to look at this and go, how is it that it took this short amount of time for them to lose trust in God? After all the signs He did in Egypt, after all of His fulfilled promises, after all of who He's revealed Himself to be, and yet they just get outside of Egypt and the army comes and they go, Oh Moses, why'd you do this to us? It was way better. Way better back there. It was way better in captivity and slavery. And I think that's what we do. Is it? If we look at what we've been given in Jesus, if we look at the salvation that's been given us in Christ, and then so often we look at the world and the pleasures of the world and we go, man, it was better. Life was better before Jesus. Life was good. Why did, why did we bring a, why would we come to this place? Why do we, and in the moment of that, we throw away everything and anything that God has done or any moment that God has been faithful to reveal His promises or move us in a direction that He's called us to rather than what we want. We are so narrow minded in that church that if we're not careful, then so easily we become entrapped in our own idea of what is better rather than recognizing that one, two, three, God is bigger. God is bigger. And that verse in 14, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. So now we're actually going to jump ahead. So what happens here at this point is uh, the waters are parted. The nation of Israel cross over the Red Sea on dry land. And then Pharaoh and his army try to come across. The Lord closes the waves back over top of them, eliminates this Egyptian army. And now they set out on the rest of this journey to the land that God has promised to them. The land in Canaan. So now flip over to the book of Numbers all the way to Numbers 13. So the book of Leviticus covers over the rules and regulations, the law that God puts forth for His people as they're moving together, that they would ultimately glorify God, that they would ultimately pursue righteousness, that they would recognize their sin, and establishes that in Leviticus. And we move forward to the book of Numbers. And um, here's this here's this hard truth, church. Many people avoid the book of Numbers because the first part of Numbers, they're like, there's a bunch of names I can't pronounce. And it just seems like it takes me a long time to move through this. Okay, But if you do not read the book of Numbers, you miss out on a crucial piece of narrative in the second half. Okay, the second half of Numbers. So in Numbers 13, here's what happens. By the way, at this point, they're almost there. Okay, they are almost to the land God has promised to them. They're right on the right on the cusp of entering into this and experiencing what God described as a land flowing with milk and honey. God is moving them in this direction, so he uh it, the, the beginning of chapter 13 in Numbers, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So if he's sending one man for every tribe of Israel, let's test and see how well you've been listening. How many men did he send in? Twelve. Everyone say Twelve. Okay, and so what comes after this is actually the list of men that got, that Moses sent in to spy out the land. Twelve guys. Now, here's an in- interesting bit of trivia for you. Does anyone, without looking at your Bibles, know what Joshua's name was before he was named Joshua? Josh. Someone says Josh. His name was Josh. <laughs> Look at verse 8 in Numbers 13. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea the son of Nun from the tribe of Benjamin. Now if you jump down to verse 16, it says, and Moses called Hoshea the son of Nun Joshua. Now here's the cool thing about this. The name Hoshea means salvation. The name Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. And it's this movement from salvation to this predicting that through Joshua, God would save His people and bring them into the land promised. So this is the first point where we are introduced to Joshua or Hosea as he was named at birth. And recognize in this, hold on to this for next week because it's an important aspect of this, that Joshua was one of the twelve spies sent in to spy out the land of Canaan. Okay? So, he sends the spies in. Now, they come back later in in chapter 13. And, does anyone know, do they give a good or a bad report? They give one of each, right? Right? It's a trick question. Answer C. All of the above. They give a good report in saying what God has told us about this land is true. It is flowing with milk and honey. It is fruitful. It's abundant. This land is like no other land we've ever seen. But on the other side, they gave a bad report and said, but guys, the people here are huge. They have massive armies. They'll crush us. And so look then, at chapter 14 verse 1 we see a repetitive cycle numbers 14 verse 1 it says then all the congregation raised up a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of israel grumbled against moses and aaron the whole congregation said to them here we go again would that we had died in the land of egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Whoa! This is crazy! Now, recognize here, they were in terrible slavery in Egypt. Recognize here that they had no... Fulfillment of promises while they were in Egypt. And now they have just visually seen, these spies have just visually seen the land God has promised to give to them. And they come back and say, Oh, I don't know, guys. You know, it doesn't matter that God parted the sea for us. Doesn't matter that He eliminated the whole Egyptian army for us. Doesn't matter that He brought all of us out of Egypt. Well, look at how big these people are. Narrow focused and losing sight, losing sight ultimately, forgetting the truth that one, two, three. Now, of those people, if we look at verse five and six in Numbers 14, it says, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly, of the congregation of the people and Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb, the son of Jephune, who were uh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the people, the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And look at verse 10. Look at the response of the people. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people. So here, the people reject God's promise And you have four individuals, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb, who go, why are you acting this way? Why can you not see the Lord's faithfulness and move forward into what God has promised? And as the result of this, God brings about judgment on His people. He brings about judgment on them. And ultimately... In verse 20 of 14, it says, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt, in the wilderness, and yet put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. So, The nation of Israel moves to this place, and the spies spent 40 days spying out the land, and God says, for every day the land was spied out and you have rejected me now, you will spend a year wandering in the desert. Forty years. Not only that, but all of those who have complained against the Lord, who have not sought to trust the Lord in moving into this land and take it as it was called, none of them will see the fulfillment of God's promise to this nation. He says, all of you will die off as a result of this. So, Israel, the nation of Israel, learns a quick lesson. And the, the, the thing is, in uh, verse 39 and 14, when Moses shared this with them, the people... At that point, they mourned and they go, oh, no, we've messed up. We didn't do what we were supposed to do. And they rose up early in the morning and went up to the heights of the whole country saying, here we are. We will now go up to the place the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses says, don't do that. The Lord is not with you. And if the Lord is not with you, you should not go into the land. But they go anyway, and many of them are killed because the Lord was not with them. Now there's a really interesting truth here that we, a couple truths that we can recognize even in practical application, church. Number one, with God's blessing for God's purposes, according to God's promises, you will not fail. Okay? With God's blessing, according to God's purposes or plan within His promised boundaries, you will not fail with the Lord on your side. But reject the Lord, reject His promises, reject His faithfulness, and there is no promised land to inherit. You will wander in the desert wondering where to go next. The other truth in this is that in the same way that we cannot we will not have success apart from God's blessing and his faithfulness you go against the lord you miss the opportunity to see the blessing of the lord lived out okay and i might go without saying according to the first one but if we disobey and go against the will of the lord in any frame of mind any Direction. If we become selfishly absorbed, if we become more about what we want than what God has commanded to us, then we should not expect to see the Lord's blessing among us. We should expect to wander in the desert and slowly taper off. That's not my desire for us, church. Now, kind of the final place I want to take us is the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32. The people wander and wander and wander. They die off. This is 40 years of wandering with no place to call home. And every time I think about that, all I could think about, the first thing that comes to mind is I go, that's a really long time to tent camp with your family. Some of you might enjoy that. But I'm imagining all of that with all the animals and all of, the, all of their possessions and all of the people we're talking about. Potentially millions of people here, church, okay? Wandering in the desert together. (laughs) Not a good time. Alright? And not only not a good time, but reminded that they could have been enjoying the promised land that God had given to them already. But that they would never see. So in Deuteronomy, chapter 32, Verse 44, so here's what happens. In the the midst of the wilderness, Moses' anger gets the best of him, and he lashes out. And because of his anger, and allowing his anger to control who he was, same thing applied to Moses. Because he failed to trust in the Lord in that moment, God said, Moses, you're going to be able to see the promised land from a distance, but you're going to die before the nation of Israel enters in. You're going to see it but you're going to pass away before we get there. And so Moses is giving his last speech to the nation of Israel. And in verse 44 it says, Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He and Joshua, the son of Nun, and when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life, and by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Interesting that Moses says, remind your children of these things. Why is that? Because it was the lack of trust in the word of the Lord that has brought them to the place they are right there. And now, standing at the bank, the Jordan River, the only thing standing between them and the promised land is this new generation of Israelites. Their parents have all died in the wilderness because they rejected, and wa- rejected the promises of God and walked in disobedience to Him. So they're standing there. They've seen what's happened as a result of not following after the Lord. And now, the command of the Lord through Moses is, you need to remind your children of these things. Because this is where life roots in, by the word of God, by the truth that God has revealed, by the mission God has given you, the purpose He has established you. And as long as you root into that, that is where your very life and by His word you shall live long in the land that you are going to possess. Now we fast forward to chapter 34 and Moses goes up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, To the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan. God revealed all the land to Moses. And then it's at this point that Moses dies. And in verse 9 of chapter 34, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. There has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. And then in Joshua 1, 1 and 2, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So here's in application, church. Here's where we're at. <clears throat> right now, where are you most prone to lose sight of God's sovereignty? Right now, Where are you most prone to lose sight of who God is and what He has promised to those who trust in Christ? Where has God been faithful in your past that you forget about when you face trials in the present? Because He has been faithful. You sitting here is a result of God's faithfulness in your life. And there are Points along the journey, there are mile markers along the way that you can look at and say, God was so present here, whether you see it that way or not. What are those things where he's been faithful in the past that you forget about when you encounter a trial in the present? And man, I do this all the time, church, where I'll face a trial and I'll think, my goodness, why in the world? Is the Lord doing this to me? Why, why has He put me in this position? Why has He allowed this to happen? Woe is me! And I start whining and complaining just like the Israelites. And yet the truth, the truth of this is, God has been faithful, is currently faithful, and will be faithful to fulfill exactly what He's promised to the end. Amen? Lastly, does your story, your testimony, Does it reveal your strength or God's? If you're to tell someone your story, who is the primary focal point of your story? Do you testify about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God in your life? Or are you so wrapped up in who you are and what you want and what you want to accomplish that you've lost sight of all of that? Church, at the end of the day and as we begin this walk through the book of Joshua, the number one thing I want you to be able to tell not only yourself, but also those around you is one, two, three. God is bigger. We're going to try that again. I want you to be able to tell this to each other and remind yourself that one, two, three. God is, bigger. God is bigger. His plan will prevail. Let's step into this journey together. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. We're going to close with the song, Our God. And this song. Fits this whole theme really well, where the chorus says, Our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God. So we're gonna I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing this song, and then at that point, um, we're gonna have those getting baptized today come up here and we're gonna have some baptism testimonies, uh, and uh celebrate that together. All right? Father, we uh We come before you and we know that uh, you revealed yourself in such powerful ways to the nation of Israel. Lord, you accomplished your purposes and your plan exactly as you intended to. And yet your people were prone to disobedience. And God, we confess that we are prone to the same. So open our eyes to your greatness. Open our eyes to your sovereignty. Help us to see the power that is in Jesus' name, Father, that. We would walk in step with your plan. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.